0: We're back to the Neil Haley Show on the Total Celebrity segment, and I'm excited to have this couple on. And I want to find out first of all how they met. Uh, both celebrities, both uh, are iconic in specific ways, but they have a book. They've come together, and they're going to help me. So I'm excited to welcome to the program celebrities Corbin Burnson and Amanda Pays. Corbin and Amanda, thanks for calling. How are you? Oh, great.
1: You. Thanks for having
0: us. Absolutely, I'm going to go back first to Amanda. And Amanda, I was looking back at some of your uh, Wikipedia and some of the films. What did you think of uh, that? The 80s for you and stuff. Some pretty interesting uh, parts you had in the 80s, didn't you? Uh, interesting, yes. I think I started with some uh, little
2: horror movies. <laughs> That's what you're talking about. And then I went on to Max Headroom and uh off the blues uh, from, yeah, it was a kind of an interesting time um that's so we met I met Corbin when he was some when I was on that Headroom at the time
1: yeah we, um, we met in
2: the nightclub.
1: We, we met in the nightclub and she basically you know uh, blew and blew me, blew me off, but she did give me a phone number that was connected to her dressing room, which it's doing. You no, know, that means it's pretty meaningless. It's a dressing room phone number that basically rings, and that nobody ever answers. <laughs> uh, and then uh, I noticed we were shooting LA Law one day, and right across the alley from us, where there was an old stage that they had done Blade Runner or something, Runner. Uh, a, a big couple in Little China, uh, somebody was shooting on that stage, and uh, and I asked who it was, and they said, well, it's Max Hedrum. And I uh, said, uh, yeah. yeah, Max Hedrum, and I said, Wow. I know a girl, man. I went and found Amanda, you know, sort of told her that she blew me off. But it would happen to be their last day of filming that series, and if they weren't there, I
2: mean, yeah. this book would have never happened.
0: Yeah, thirty years later. Wow, interesting. Uh, so, Amanda, when you did you know Corbin when he like first you you first met who he was and stuff like that, like of stuff he's done in acting? No. Uh-
2: yeah, well, a daisy. I mean, you know, when he walked in, I think somebody said, Oh, you know, that guy plays a real sort of sod, Arnie better." And I wasn't interested at all. But he was. We were. We were in- introduced by a, um, a friend. Uh, he was very charming, but I was a little bit cocky in those days as well. He was like, "I'm on a show called Law, and I was like, "Oh well, I'm on a show called Max Pedram. He said, "I just shot a movie," and I said, "So have I." Uh, <laughs> you know. So um, I did give him a bit of a runaround for a few months. Yeah, uh, but then I thought, no, this guy, this guy's a sweetheart. Um,
1: of course, then we connected, and uh, she came up to my uh, newly refurnished $200,000 bachelor house uh, up in the hills of, uh, in Laurel Canyon, and immediately, in the first walking in the door, she goes, "Well, all this is going to change," and I mean, the paint wasn't even dry yet.
2: And <laughs> <laughs> say. I like not
1: my deal at the time. But that's right where we started learning to uh, uh, compromise. compromise in the best terms of the
0: word. Right. It's in the compromise part, and that's important as a couple. So, Amanda, who is more of the designer, you or Corbin, or Corbin learned from you?
2: Um, you know, we're, we, we, we're different. We're, we both have uh, elements that we bring into this design world. And Corbin, with the carpenter, he as the carpenter. He was really the builder, the, the spatial guy, the kind of, like, we can knock this wall down, we can do this, this, and I have much more the aesthetic, uh, the palette, the materials, the, the overall kind of feel of the place. So we worked in, in tandem together really well. But what we've sort of, over 30 years, discovered
1: and we've worked our way backwards toward it is where we are very common is to keep it simple. Um yeah. you know, in this world that's a little cluttered to say the least, with both news, information and stuff, we have found and maybe it's an age thing, you know, you gotta go you're young, right. you gotta collect those
2: bottom yeah.
1: collect. We have found the easiest way to navigate this world is to keep things simple. And, and that could go right down to a relationship itself, you know. Um, you know, you see so many people not being able to make it through their relationships. And I think people just clutter themselves with too much and no. stuff. And uh, I think, you know, that the home is sort of the starting place and ending place of each day, keeping it simple.
0: Yes. It's,
1: whether it's how you design the house, to your clothing, your closet, to the food you eat, and what's in your refrigerator. You see, there's just, there's more, more to gain. By
0: having less, absolutely. Yeah, I wish um, you could tell my wife that. So that's the thing. As a teacher, she keeps everything, keeps almost every single thing from, and 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 we have five kids, Corbin and Amanda. So she finally has decided, okay, I want to get my life simple again. So let's look at this, Amanda. Open house, reinventing space for simple living. It's a coffee table book, and. Tell us um, specifically what. how can we keep things pretty simple for simple living? What are your recommendations before we get the book?
2: Well, our recommendation would be to, uh, well, first of all, it's like you go to your home, you have to think about what it is you actually use as opposed to what do, you need? what do you need in your life as opposed to just holding on to stuff that is either put away or... It, you know, it's crushing up your home. And you've got to be kind of a little bit ruthless. I mean, Corbin, to be honest, you know, when I met him, he we both went through the collecting phases of the life.
0: And he was a... What? Yeah, yeah, I'm, you're still here. I, I don't know if Corbin's on the line. Continue, Amanda. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, no,
2: he was a big collector. And so we've still got some collections. But at the end of the day, we've managed to kind of... Go through, um, and, and part of our, you know, the renovating and the moving has helped us get rid of, get rid of, get rid of, so you're down to the basics, right? Living with basics. Yes. Well, it's also, it's what do you need as opposed to what you want. is a nice starting ground.
1: And by the way, this doesn't mean you're doing this simply because of some, you know, you know, crystals and weird living way of life of being simple. It's actually a design aesthetic. I mean, you'll see in the book, it, it's actually a look, you know, a lot of people go into a museum and feel a feeling of comfort. Well, there's some paintings on the wall, they're white, and you have a soap in the middle, and there's a, a peace and an ease to it. So we're not saying do all of this for necessarily for your lifestyle. There actually is an aesthetic to it that uh, that also um, offers a lot. I'd say something to your wife, who's, if she's a teacher, and now I'll put it like this, I just thought of this as you were saying it. So she must teach some basic math somewhere in there. If your number is 10 and you have eight of stuff, you only have room for two more. But if your number is two, you have room for eight, meaning there's room there's room around what you have before you get filled yeah. and full. And oh. when you have that kind of space in the day, you know, at the beginning of the day, you have what, tw- you, have, you wake up in the morning, you have 14, 15 hours of your day it's anything you want to make it. By the time you get to 11 o'clock at night, you're jamming, you know, because you only have an hour left. Right, exactly. So the less you have, the more potential you have. Ah, Very yeah, good.
0: I like pretty that. Good. I like that, Corbin, for pretty sure. And, and Amanda, so th- that's basically the, the s- simple thing is what you have, and then once you figure out and you weed down things and you keep it simple, it's about specific designing, and, y- and that's in your book so that people can check that out to say, okay, now we've weeded down, we've made sure we don't have so much of so much stuff, now we're ready to decorate and make it great and simple, right?
2: Also, by the way, decoration doesn't cost any money. I mean, the book is, is kind of the art of where we started with, with more. We started with more when we met and we were starting a family and now we have less, but we have more, better quality of life almost because you have more time to enjoy your life. You're not always uh, running around, you know, filled with clutter. You're, you know, it, it's a crazy world out there. And we find that in the home, if it's less, less cluttered, if it's more simple, then you, you have, you, you can,
1: it allows you to breathe. And, and you know, even down to simple, obvious stuff, and I'll go back to my museum thing, is, and it's not for everybody, we're not saying this has to be, but for us, it's pretty much, we, we paint our interior of our homes in, in off-white, you know, not stark, it's not a museum. And um, it's amazing when you put, a painting or something, or a piece of furniture, a chair, or even your flat screen TV, which I'm looking at right now, up on a white wall, it stands out, you know. Um, and those are the kinds of tips. And again, white's not for everyone. And there's certainly tips in there that Amanda's shown me. Well, would a you like to bring
2: in light? Yeah, bringing light into your home is, is a big one yeah,
0: for us. Yeah. And
1: white, it's that. But that's our, that's, you know, a design tip from us. It's not for everyone. But again, it goes back toward, being
0: simple. Awesome. All right. So, where is the best place we can purchase the book, Amanda? Where can we go? Where's the best place for people to check it out and stuff?
2: Uh, well, get, it up, get it on Amazon, obviously, and then we're uh, Barnes and Nobles around the country are selling it, and then some smaller independent stores will be. But right now, we're about to head off to do the the uh, signing tour around the country, especially the East Coast, like Coats from Barnes and Nobles coming up: Nashville, St. Louis, uh, Chicago. Chicago. Yeah. Um, also, you uh, can,
1: if you want to uh, just find out more about us, where we're going to be, uh, and you'll notice her name is first, go to AmandaAndCorbin.com, and you see more about us. Uh, there's some the photos we share and some and links to you know, things that we think are pretty cool, but also where we'll be and also where you can get the
0: book. Well, I'm excited for you guys, and I'm definitely going to tell my wife to check out the book. And really, my first comment thing I'm going to say is let's keep things simple, and we'll be good to go. So thanks for calling, guys. Best of luck and uh, with all your ventures. Appreciate it. Thank you so much
2: for having us. It's been great chatting with you.
0: Bye. Take care, guys. See you. Okay, bye-bye. You're listening to Neil Haley's Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley Show on the Total Celebrity segment. And my guest, I'm a huge fan. Uh, From the days uh, when he was a child actor to now. So I'm excited to welcome the program celebrity Joey Lawrence. Joey, thanks for calling, man. How are you?
1: Hey,
0: how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. So, Joey, I know people have asked this question before, but I didn't get to hear the whole story. How did you come up with the whoa? Because that really uh, took your career from Blossom all the way to where you are today, I think, for sure.
1: Well, it's just, yeah, I mean, it was crazy, man. You know, you said it was a joke one one night. Uh, it was more like a surfer, whoa, like can't reach or whatever, and it wasn't working. And they were going to cut the line, and, you know, the producer said, uh, can you try something different with it? You know, I was... 13, and my voice was cracking, and I didn't know what to do with it, but I tried something that, you know, was not the surfer woe thing, and and, uh, that came out. The audience went nuts, and they kept it in the show, and and then they added, like, two more that episode, that show night, and when the show aired, um, people, I guess, you know, really reacted positively to it, and it took off like crazy, and that was it. I mean, you know, there was no social media, so, you know, 17, 18 years ago, 19 years ago, 20 years ago, so... but. It was, um, but I, so I can only imagine how quick it would have taken off then, but, man, it was just literally, seemed like it was overnight, and by the end of, like, that season, it was just, it was cemented into pop culture, and, you know, the rest is history, you know?
0: Exactly, Joey, and would you say, in so many ways, that the, the, the childhood actor that you became, to, to be able to evolve to where you are today, that's difficult, right? It's a challenge for somebody who is a child actor to oh, be do sure for sure. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah, no, there are lots of ups and downs and ebbs and flows, and you know you got to just keep pushing on you know it's about work ethic man and if you want it you got to you you got to you got you to gotta go after it no one's going to give you anything certainly they haven't given me anything you know um you know i've, I've had to work for everything that's come my way but the good news is thirty six years later i'm still doing it you know, we just wrapped up a, a year ago and uh believe it or not the brothers and i are getting back together for an amazing tv project that uh is super exciting to us um very uh different than anybody's kids together before because we're grown-ass men now last time we worked together we were kids you know yeah. but uh single camera got an Emmy award-winning writer and uh, very excited so there's a lot of great things I'm playing a bad guy on uh, Hawaii 5-0 this uh, season cyberstationusa.com Terrestrial radio is basically going to be supplanted by what's happening in technology. Think about this. Your internet receiver gives you the entire world. It's remarkable. This is Cyber Station USA. Oh, wow. Like the main villain this season, so that's fun. And uh, yeah, I sold a movie to Sony that we're working on starting next year. Um, and I got a great new uh, unscripted series with a huge comedian that I can't tell you about yet, but I will when we do the official press release and everything. And we're gonna have a show that we're working on together next year as well. And uh, the comedian is one of my favorite and you guys will know him for sure. Oh but, wow. Um so a bunch of crazy stuff, but gotta just keep working. Exactly. I got a lot of things left to accomplish and um I've been lucky to do you know, to be able to do this as long as I have so far, but I got a lot left that I wanna do, so, you know, gotta just keep working hard.
0: It sounds like, Joey, you're definitely a creative guy that, you know, it's not just acting, as we're going to talk about in your music in a second, but you really are interested in producing, directing, behind the scenes, it sounds like, Joey. And that's and that's why you continue to get projects, because you're not just trying to be a one-trick pony. You're adding lots of different nuances to your, yeah. your craft.
1: Yeah, being an actor for hire is tough. It's tough. You can't just be an actor for hire. you got to sort of create your own material, and, you know, you have to push your own product as well. I mean, that's how Melissa and Joey happened. Yeah, I used to have you know, put that together from the ground up, so that's the only reason why something like that happened, you know, otherwise it wouldn't happen. But, you know, yeah, it takes a lot of work. I mean, uh, even a series with uh, the family and stuff is very is very difficult to do, you know, to find the right way in to make it, you know, the right vibe. I mean, you know, to create it from the ground up is, you know, you got to make sure that you put your best foot forward, but I've learned a lot over 36 years and have a lot of experience now, so I can bring that to everything that I do.
0: And that's important because once you have experience, then people will listen, and you'll find new stars and new talent. But music—I didn't know about the music, Joey. Tell us about how long you've been been performing and singing and stuff. Tell us about that.
1: Well, performing and singing was, you know, really what sort of began it all for me. I mean, when I was doing all those national commercials way back when, when I was four and a half, five years old, and the Tonight Show saw me and flew me out, but, you know, to, to audition for for Johnny Carson. It was—I um, had my my. Boomboxed me and I sang and danced. That's what I did. And that's why they put me on the show they allowed me to sing and and perform two songs that night. Unheard of.
3: Yeah.
1: Um, And um, it started everything. NBC saw that and signed me, and, you know, the rest is history when it comes to that stuff. But came out with a record, uh, a a couple of records in the late 90s, and, you know, we sold millions of copies and it was a lot of fun. And, um, you know, but as usual with a lot of artists, I didn't see a lot of the proceeds, all that success. So, um, left a bad taste in my mouth, but because of social media about five years ago, the fans just really kept asking me to do it, and we finally got to a point where I think I was able to come up with you know, a collection of songs that I felt comfortable releasing and letting them hear. It. And uh, my label let me sort of make this really great sort of throwback, like late 70s, early 80s funk pop record and record everything live, and it's just been a lot of fun so far. So Imagine is the record, which is out everywhere now, iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, all that stuff. It's actually side A site Side B, which is a collection of five songs, will be out in November. So Side A has five, Side B is five, but they're, we're releasing them two two months apart. Um, and the first single, Girl, has gotten really great write-ups. And Gun. I'm kind of excited. I, I really can't believe people have responded as positively as they have, actually
0: so when it's your own record label or your own music that you are you're you're doing everything it's the best thing right because you can make you can make money you know that no one's going to take the money as he said when you had the success in the 90s with this so it's perfect and then your fans continue to see your talent it sounds like
1: exactly exactly this is a small little indie label um but the they 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 had distribution worldwide and um they just really believed in what I could do and my producer um sort of gave me the free reins to sort of make the record that I that I really wanted to make and that that's why I did it. You know, I, I I didn't have to listen to uh a bunch of N R guys or market test groups or focus groups, you know, if they were to kinda of go in there and make the sound you wanna make and see what happens. And that truly is what music is all about. You know, you can't worry about what people are gonna think of it while you're making it. You gotta you gotta put your best foot exactly. forward and then bring it to the people and see what they say. That's how you do it, you know.
0: And do you well, like do you like being in the studio yeah. recording uh compared to the other things I love that you it. do you do? I love it, man. Yeah. That's great. For yeah, sure. no,
1: I love it. I love it. It 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 fulfills a very specific part of my soul for sure. Yeah. I love it. Music is amazing. We just writing music and producing music and singing the music. It's all great. It's great stuff.
0: How would you compare yourself to other artists for people out there that have not uh heard the album yet? What what would you say?
1: Well, it's, it's like I said, it's, it's the late 70s, early 80s, so, oh, pop, that's what I love, that feel-good music. I mean, you know, look, Bruno's sort of doing, Bruno Mars is sort of doing the mid-80s, you know, pop stuff, and for me, I just love that late 70s funk stuff, so, uh, you know, that's when all, that's, you know, the end of the Earth, Wind & Fire run, Commodore, yes. you know, Michael Jackson off the wall, it's that kind of stuff, that speedy wonder, that's the stuff I love, so... um, that's kind of the record that, I, that sort of inspired me, and that's the kind of record that I wanted to make. So, you know, that's, that's sort of the album. But I think people are going to be able to feel good. I, I, some of the responses so far has just been it's just so much fun. And that's all I wanted to accomplish. It's not a message about, you know, world peace. It's not a message about where we are in the world today. I think we're reminded by all the stuff that we got going on 24 hours a day in the news cycle, you know, and on social media. What I like about entertainment is when you can escape. You know, for me, that's what I love about music, and that's my favorite music, favorite entertainment. Movies, TV shows is one that I don't I don't worry about what's going on in the real world. Like, it's an escape for 20 minutes or three minutes or 30 minutes or an hour or two hours. That's what entertainment is all about. I feel like today, so much of entertainment just reflects what's going on, and that, to me, is like, it, 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 there is a time and place for that, but it's also, with the social media explosion in the 24-hour news cycle, we are exposed to those, those elements more than we ever had before as people. And I don't think we need to be reminded so much in entertainment about it as much anymore because that's got to be more of an escape. And I feel like that's what I wanted to do with this music is just make it fun, period. Just fun. That's All it.
0: All right. So it's now available on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, and more. And, Joey, we can follow you on what places uh, social media-wise?
1: Well, I'm, you know, I'm on Twitter, Joey Lawrence. I'm on Instagram, at Joey Lawrence. on Facebook, official Joey Lawrence. Uh, yeah, so you can find me everywhere,
0: man. And it was great to hear some of the things coming up for you. Hawaii Five O, all these different things. So people yeah, got to yeah, check. Uh, I'm glad for you. It's exciting. And continue to do what you love. And that's fantastic, Joey. And thanks for calling. And best of luck with the album and all the other stuff you're doing. Okay, man?
1: Thank you very much. Take care. you, guys. Thanks see you, so Joey.
0: Much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You're All listening. Right. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. See you. You're listening to Neil Haley's show, and we'll be back in just a moment.
3: We're back to Neil Haley show in the Total Celebrity segment, and I'm excited to welcome the program American Idol and now star of INSP's State Plate, Taylor Hicks. Taylor, how are you, man?
4: I'm great. Thank you. Thanks for having me.
3: Absolutely, man. I uh, wanted to touch base with you and see how things are going it's been such fantastic uh season 1 of state plate and now things keep getting better and better aren't aren't they
4: you know it's um you know as we go through ultimately our goal is to do all 50 states and we're uh, we're at number 26 right now so we've got a little bit a little bit more to go but but it's a uh, it's a great show and I'm just thrilled that we that we're able to to have a second season and now a second season 2.2 where we're going to hit 12 more states. So uh, it's, um, you know, it's a blessing to be able to host it, but it's also educational. Oh,
3: absolutely. When you first started this, I, I heard how excited you were before it even premiered, Taylor, that you just liked the idea of traveling the country and finding the best places to, you know, to, 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 to go and check out the, the amazing things in those states. And you love traveling, but you're traveling when you're, uh, when you sing is a lot different. You don't get to spend as much time. This play this time you really get to spend time in these states and learn about and see many people and really learn about the best food in those areas, right? You know, it's a, uh...
4: It's really educational for me, and I hopefully it's educational for the viewer. But, you know, these all of these states, um, you know, they do have iconic foods. And what's interesting in one state um, to someone may be really interesting in another state to someone else. So it's always interesting, you know, for me being from Alabama, you know, um, uh, you know what? What do people eat in in the state of Washington? What people eat in the in the state of North Dakota? What people eat in South Dakota? So I think that's kind of where the interest is drawn, is where the you know where the where the where where these foods are coming
3: from. Exactly where the where these stuff uh, foods are coming from, and each state. You can't pick a favorite, can you, Taylor, with some of the amazing places you've discovered in your journey of the show?
4: You know, you can't. Um, It's just something that this is what makes state plates so great, is that we are really hitting every state with all of these iconic foods. Now, some foods may come from the establishments, kind of like diners, drives, and diner-ins. And then some foods are you know, coming from the farm uh, and the farmlands. And uh, that's what's, what's great about this show is that we're able to really expose the, the small, small farmer and just let people know how important um, these foods are to America.
3: Absolutely, and these foods, why they're important in America, and what makes that state so special. Let's talk about uh, the new states that you're going to be traveling to. I think Alaska's a pretty cool one, right? That's going to be a little different type of food than some of the other states you've visited so far. Very
4: different. Uh, You know, being being from Alabama, uh, the only kind of thing that we know – You know, the only thing we really know about Alaska, more times than not, is that they come second in the order of states. Uh, And it's been amazing to be able to go up there and expose all of those really great foods. I didn't realize how great those foods actually were. Um, You know, you've got the king salmon, and uh, you have all of these really unique, iconic foods that you think about. Um, that really are exports for that state.
3: Yeah, definitely. And what type of place did you visit when you when you traveled to Alaska? What kind of uh, food establishment? You know, we
4: went to the rivers. Obviously, uh, we there's rivers and there's game. Um, you know, there's game that you that you, that is very iconic up there. Some farmlands. So that's something that we uh, that we try to expose.
3: Oh, that's great. So it's not just. Taylor, it's not just the, the 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 restaurants. It's as you talked about the farmland. It depends in the area and where you're going and stuff like that.
4: What? it does? I mean, it's
3: yeah. Cool, cool. Now, when you go to Jersey, that's New Jersey, a lot different than Alaska, right, and Taylor? For sure.
4: It, very different. <laughs> but uh, you know, uh, you know, that's what's great about. It. The the shows it again. It's it's uh, you know it's showing all the diversity that we have in this country and how diverse the country is. So that's um, something that I'm always educated on uh, as we travel through this show. So it's been um, it's been fun to be able to expose just the diversity of the foods
3: and the diversity of the foods, Taylor. That, that's, that's for sure in, in so many ways. And have you now, after experiencing all these great states, uh, changed some of your style of, of how you enjoyed cooking or what types of meals you have now with all these experiences that you've had?
4: Well, it's opened my, it's definitely opened my palate up. I mean, obviously, you know, everybody in Alabama, when you're born in Alabama, you 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 start with a palate, a pretty good one at that. Yeah. But I think it's definitely, I definitely, it's definitely opened up to, um, you know, a lot of these um, different types of food that, that, you know, that makes complete sense after you try them. Um, so that's something that I just, um, you know, I, cyberstationusa.com Terrestrial radio is basically
1: going to be supplanted by what's happening in technology. Think about this. Your internet receiver gives you the entire
4: world. It's remarkable.
1: This is Cyberstation USA.
4: I'm just am very blessed to be able to host a show like this.
3: Absolutely. For sure. And uh, what you talked about the educational portion of this show, Taylor. This is something you should recommend. A lot of uh, teachers uh, show their kids, and also parents see that they can watch the show and learn from these different states and how they're different and the, the culture and stuff. For sure.
4: Yes, and the, and the culture is that it's um, you know that it's it's diverse, and that's what's great about what makes up America is that there is truly diversity in these in these all of these iconic state foods.
3: And and those iconic state foods are are quite um, interesting. Do you have a favorite, Taylor? I I kept saying you've enjoyed all of it. Has there been a favorite trip so far?
4: You know, I love the state of Maine. Um, You know, being from Alabama, you just always hear about lobster, you know. And the thing about it is that, you know, if lobster is on the state plate menu, uh, then, you know, we're going on the lobster boat. And we're... We're really going to those places of the origin of which the foods come from. So that's something that I love is, you know, going on a lobster boat is just not something this Alabama boy's ever done before. And so those kinds, at that particular state, just the time of the year, um, the food that it produced was um, was just was just one of those that really stood out to me.
3: It definitely seemed like. It would for sure. Thinking about lobster, <laughs> anytime we can have lobster and have the best lobster, Taylor, it's it's a it's a worthwhile experience.
4: I'm telling you,
3: yep. I don't know how, and I know that there that you've had lobster in Alabama. Would you say Maine's is the is the best place to get lobster?
4: <laughs> you know, believe it on the believe it or not, um, lobster rolls are on the menu at McDonald's in Maine during lobster season.
3: Really? Who would have That's, thought that, it, right? No, I, w- I wouldn't have thought that at all. I would have said, what, Really? That's got to be unbelievable. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, what I see with the whole um, opportunities is the way this show makes it different to other food shows. The more you've explained this and the more that you've experienced this, is that you're really showing America, not just, okay, you drive down a street and you go to a diner. Not just, okay, you're going to go here. You're going to teach them about that state, understand what's iconic about that state, specific landmarks, how you are able to find food that's unlike that other state, right? And that's how you guys come up with those ideas for each episode.
4: You know, that's what it's all about. State Plate has it, and uh, you you can see it on Friday nights on the INSP channel at eight o'clock.
3: Awesome. Taylor, where's the best place social media wise. We can connect with you and stuff. Where can we go?
4: You can do uh, Instagram. Um, you can do Twitter. I've got the website, so you can pretty much, pretty much follow me everywhere.
3: Awesome. And, and are you, any other projects going on right now, Taylor?
4: I've got a single or a music single coming out in the fall and a brand-new record coming out uh, early next year.
3: So how are you able to juggle all this traveling and then also your music? It's pretty challenging, isn't it?
4: You know, you just uh, close your eyes and hope for the best.
3: It's good to be busy, right, Taylor? That's the important thing of being in the entertainment field. You better be busy.
4: Yep. the phone, It never rang for 10 years, and the phone rings now, so I'm answering it.
3: Hey, keep answering it. Everyone needs to check out INSP State Plate on Friday nights at 8 p.m. And I appreciate you calling, Taylor. And best of luck.
4: Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it.
3: Take care, man. See ya. All right, take care. Right. Bye. Okay, bye. You're listening to the Neil Haley Show. We'll be back in
0: just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley Show on the Total Celebrity segment. I'm excited to welcome the program celebrity Richard Rawlings. We're going to talk about garage rehab, fast and loud, all the different things you do, man. Richard, thanks for calling. How are you? Hey, I'm doing good, sir. I hope you guys are doing great, too. Absolutely, Richard. I know you're excited about this garage rehab on Discovery Channel, right? I mean, to to, to be able to help other people have awesome garages like you have, for sure. It must be a fun venture.
1: I, I really am. It, it's something that's near to my heart, and I'm very humbled and blessed to be a part of it. And, uh, you know, these I was in the same position many times while trying to get Gas Monkey going. So, you know, to, to, to help to get a leg up is something I would— would pray for at night, you know, if I could just get that piece of equipment or or just that bank loan, you know, to get on down the road. And uh, so it's very cool to be uh, in a position to be able to, to go out there and help others that are in the same spot.
0: So you were in that position at one point in time with some of these garages we're in that on the show, right? You you dealt with some of these situations as well.
1: No, I really did. Uh, it's it's been a rough road. I mean, everybody says, oh, you know, gas monkeys this, but I mean, it took. 15 hard years of getting there. And I'll tell you, if you want to get humble real fast, go ask your wife to borrow a thousand bucks. Cause you can't make rent. That'll get your attention.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And you have to, you have to, you put yourself out there, Richard, right. You put yourself out there and get out of your comfort zone. Say, I want to do this. I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to make it. And the process is that you're going to have a lot of lumps. And this is what you're going to teach a lot of these guys when you're helping them rehab their garage for sure.
1: Yes, sir, for sure. I mean, uh, and we've we've got. It's all about the individuals, too, The guys and gals that own these shops, uh, and and whether or not they're willing to put in the work. Uh, we've we had to walk away from a few of them that that just uh, you know they, they they said they wanted to the help, but I could tell that they they weren't going to do anything with it.
0: So once you get into a garage, what what should we expect? We see lots of different rehab shows for certain things from bars to restaurants to uh, I guess uh, um, making over a house. What's the difference when you're going into a garage and trying to fix it and help them? You
1: know, the difference is is that uh, we're, we're truly invested in them as people and, and and as that as a business and you're not going to see the drama of kicking boxes and yelling at them and tell them how bad they are or anything like that. I mean, we're there to, to be a part of it and to help them get turned around on the right path, not to belittle them or yell at them or what have you. So uh, hopefully you'll see that there's a lot less drama. And then there's still a lot of eye candy because at the end of the day, we're dealing with shops and cars and motorcycles and, hot rods and what have you. So, you know, there's a lot of cool stuff to
0: see. <laughs> And what do you what do you what makes a great garage, Richard? Define that for me. What makes a great garage? It can
1: be anything from from fifteen hundred square feet to ten thousand square feet. What makes a great garage is the people and, and their love for what they do. Uh, I'm a little worried about the future with the with the young kids being so into computers and things like that, and we're losing a lot of our hand manual laborers. And uh, you know, to see uh, the, the guys that are just so passionate, they can do anything. They're smart enough to do anything. And they want to work on cars, and uh, you know that's it's, it's starting to become a lost art.
0: I I completely agree with you, and that's a great point you make. That you know we all are forcing these kids or not forcing these kids in school. Hey, you gotta go ahead get go to college. Well, it's not always about college. It'd be great that they can, but develop a trade, develop a skill because there's a lot of money to be made, right, Richard? If you are very good in in, in the garage, right?
1: That You can make it a real good living and put your kids through college and, and have a nice retirement. It's just, uh, you know, the, the the general consensus thinking of putting the kids through schools or, you know, do all this college stuff and learn the computers, which is great. You have to know it. Uh, but uh, I'd like to see more people working with their hands.
0: I, I agree because some people, that's their skill set. That's their passion. They love to do this. And people working in your garage, they love to do this, Right. Richard, they love working. Oh, my
1: guys, yeah. my, my guys live, eat, and breathe it. I mean, they'll work a, a hard, killer week for us on on Gas Monkey Garage fast Plow, and then turn around and work it in the evenings and on the weekends on their own stuff. <laughs> you know, uh, they they do it twenty four seven.
0: When you chose the garages that you were going to rehab, what were you looking for in that garage owner? Was there a specific?
1: I was really looking for dedication to their business uh, and their family. Um, you know, cause when you do something like this, you do get some that, you know, aren't quite on the up and up and they just think they want to be a part of it. And so we were very, really, very picky about who we, uh, did business with and, and chose people that were really dedicated to it and dedicated to their family and, and wanted to make a, a run of it and just did somehow over the years lost their way.
0: Yeah. And they, wrong things happened to them. Certain things happened that, Just shut them down. You know, the the first
1: IRS letter or the first, you know, bad job or bad investment hurts. And then the second one, and then, you know, you get two or three of them piled on you. And then that's just, who cares? I need to eat today and I need to pay the rent. And, you know, uh, sometimes it's very, I've been in the exact same situation. It's very, very hard to crawl out of it.
0: As entrepreneurs, Richard, we all go through this. At one point, when we take that next step, when we take that next leap, It's not that easy, and it's great that you're going to be able to show this on the show because a lot of garage owners out there should watch for sure. Check out Garage Rehab because they're going to be able to see, Richard, that it's not that easy and how can we take it to the next level, and you're really trying to have a diversity of garages right on the show, correct?
1: Yeah, we've got motorcycle shops, regular shops, uh, you know, paint shops, uh, hot rods. I mean, a little bit of everything that, that meets into our genre.
0: That's great. That's fantastic. And Garage Rehab uh, premieres on Wednesday, August thirtieth at ten p.m. Eastern. Richard, and what do you think we're going to be surprised about with the show? Especially when we're fans of Fast and Loud, what are we going to expect that's different in a way of you uh, and? I think
1: that uh, as far as me, they're going to see the the really true business side of Richard and and uh, a, a different kind of. I mean. What you've seen with Fast and Loud is uh, is, is what I've done with Gas Monthly. and you, you don't really get into the meat and potatoes of the business part of it. And I think you're going to see that, uh, you know, I'm uh, hopefully able to transfer some of the, the, the stuff I've learned along the way uh, into, uh, um, you know, uh, an ability that everybody can understand. And I don't think that we've been able to show that as much on Fast and Loud, and I'm excited to show that part of uh, Richard on that. On the
0: garage rehab. Awesome. Where's the best place we can find information on you? Follow you, Richard, and all that. Where can we go? Oh,
1: GasMonkeyGarage dot com. Gas garage. Our Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, you name it. Whatever else the new, new, biggest biggest thing is. And uh, you know, uh, thanks to all the fans out there. I mean, I wouldn't be here without y'all.
0: Hey, well, congratulations and all the different things. We see you on TV all the time, Richard. So we're we're really excited for you and all the different ventures and projects you have. Do you have anything else coming out right now that you wanted to tell our listeners about? i got a couple more
1: shows coming out, uh, hopefully one uh, before the end of the year and uh, another one uh, in the uh, spring of next year, and uh, it's, it's going to be pretty cool. One of them I'm working on is going to be with the kids, like I'm talking about. We're going to get into some shops and shop classes that uh, have have the young kids in there and, and try to teach for a few things.
0: Well, have that passion, Richard. Give back for the success that you've had and, get, and keep helping people uh, go after their dreams. So thanks for calling. I appreciate it, Richard. Yes, sir. How going? I take care. Okay. See you later. Bye-bye. You're listening to the Neil Haley show. and We'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley show on the total celebrity segment. And I'm, I'm excited to welcome the program. And this uh, really interests me for sure. Author of fourth and goal every day. Alabama's relentless pursuit for of perfection. I'd like to welcome the program, Phil Savage. Phil, thanks for calling. How are you?
1: Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Looking forward to the release tomorrow.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, you know, Phil, when you talk about Alabama football and what uh, what um, Saban's been able to do, it's just absolutely amazing, isn't it? What he was been able to accomplish at Alabama. Yeah,
1: it, yeah, it really is. I think this is an era in college football it'll be talked about you know, 25, 50, 75 years from now because Bama's won four national titles in eight years. They played for a fifth. And honestly, with a few other plays going a different direction in the other couple of seasons, they could have conceivably played for seven of the last eight national titles at the highest level of the sport when you talk about the college games. So, you know, the background here is that, you know, I was... And, and I'm a native of the state. I grew up here during the during the Bear Bryant era in the '70s, which seemingly was a similar dominant right. uh, period of time for
4: Alabama. Uh, then I worked for Bill Belichick. CyberstationUSA.com.
1: Terrestrial radio is basically going to be supplanted by what's happening in technology. Think about this. Your internet receiver gives you the entire world. It's remarkable. This is Cyber Station
4: USA.
1: I Nick Saban in the early 90s with the original Cleveland Browns. And, and then uh, when I came back here to be the radio color analyst the last eight years, I just felt like, okay, you know, there's a book in there somewhere to link all of these things together. And so that's really what fourth and goal every day is all about.
0: And, and that's very interesting when you talk about that, Phil, because again, you've had experience working with some very, very interesting teams. Even you worked with the Ravens as well. And that for our, our, our Pittsburgh listeners out there, knowing the Raven Steelers uh, rivalry, but to have perfection, to pursue perfection, to be the best it takes a lot of work, a lot of teamwork, isn't it, Phil? The whole team, not just the head coach, everyone around them.
1: Yeah, it takes. Uh, it comes from the leadership at the top, and then it, it just comes with hiring the right people and making sure everybody understands their responsibility of, of doing their job, knowing their role. Those roles have to be defined. And, you know, when Nick Saban uh, left the Browns in 1994, he went and became the head coach at Michigan State. And, of course, from there, he went to LSU. And, you know, after a two-year stop with the Dolphins, he returned to the college game at Alabama. But he brought a lot of elements of what you would consider to be NFL-type philosophies in terms of uh, the evaluation of recruits uh, to the approach to practice, uh, the way things are segmented out in practice, and then, you know, ultimately some sophistication, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, for Alabama. And and with all that being said, after really one season in 2007, his first year in Tuscaloosa, they were seven and six. It was sort of an inventory type of year. right? But since that time, get this, they've had three games, three regular season games that did not have national championship implications involved. So in other words, every regular season game since 2008 with the exception of three, the national championship has still been out there for Alabama.
0: That's gotta be amazing, especially with how difficult it is to recruit, right, Phil? It's not the easiest thing.
1: Well, I would say that you know, the college coach would tell you that the recruiting calendar and, and the demands of of going after these prospects is probably the most difficult part of the college game. I think the coaches love working with their players on the field in spring football, training camp, and then, of course, during the season, uh, the practices and the games. But the recruiting is really a burden. And, and I tell you, a lot of head coaches in college football, they turn it over to the staff and they'll just sign off on, you know, the 20 or 25 players that they sign each and every year. There are some coaches that are really good at evaluations. There are some that are not as interested in it. But Nick Saban has embraced that. He... He has a a passion for recruiting uh, that's just as strong as his desire to win on Saturdays. And I think that's one of the real separating factors for him is not only uh, does he want to recruit, but he also wants to evaluate. And that's a very time-consuming ordeal to put all of that together.
0: It definitely does. So then once he has his recruits and he's ready to prepare himself for the season, Tell us that preparation that uh, Coach Saban goes through from, I guess, all the off season to finally the football season.
1: Yeah, they'll you know, have several chapters in the book. You know about you know not only their recruiting, but more importantly the evaluation of the players. And then once they get those players on campus, uh, the idea of developing those players. We've heard Nick Saban say numerous times that football is a developmental sport. And so while, you know, some five-star recruits can come in and play right away, there are others that need some incubation time uh, over the course of a season or two before they're ready for prime time and and to hit the field. And, you know, Alabama uh, under Nick Saban and, you know, under a lot of different assistant coaches, I mean, this will be about his fourth or fifth iteration of the staff this year in 2017. And he's always been the common denominator all of this, but for whatever reason, people are able to to integrate themselves in the staff and figure out, okay, this is what I'm supposed to be doing, and this is how I'm supposed to be trying to develop these players, and I think it's really, you know, another one of the, the big separators between them and most everyone else is the idea of not only bringing in gifted players, but then really training them in the right way with their hands, their eyes, their feet, their hips, all the essential elements of football.
0: So practice is really a, a developmental process. It sounds like under Coach Saban.
1: Yeah, I, I've always said that you know they. While the results are, are, of winning occur on Saturdays, uh, Bama more importantly wins the other three hundred you know fifty days out of the year, and a lot of that centers around uh, the practice field. Uh, in an era where, literally, in my duties for the Reese Senior Bowl, I visit a lot of campuses during the fall, and you know almost all of the schools play music now. Uh, everyone's concerned about uh, you know too much hitting, too much uh, contact. Uh, you go to an Alabama practice; they don't have music. Uh, they generate their own enthusiasm from within, and they work on fundamentals every single day. And I think that's you know you take top-flight recruits. Put it with this kind of development, and then give them the the training and and the the background in terms of the preparation of what to expect on a, on a Saturday, in a game. And, and there's a reason why uh, they've been able to accomplish as much as they have over the last decade.
0: Absolutely. And Phil, the last point is that when you're recruiting, a lot of these kids have a dream to play in the NFL. And Coach Saban is able to develop NFL players, correct? Especially you being in the NFL game as well. Would you agree with that?
1: Yeah, one thing that happens is, you know, when the NFL scout goes into Alabama, they're going to see those prospects performing duties that they're going to be tasked to do in the NFL. In other words, they're pro-like systems and pro-like responsibilities, either on defense or offense or even on special teams. And so there's not a kind of projection involved. In other words, the NFL scout can write, okay, I've seen, you know, this particular player, uh, you know, play cover two, play cover three. I've seen this running back, you know, run between the tackles, catch the ball out of backfield, whatever the case might be. You know, with the advent of the spread offense and the way it's taken root and really, you know, sort of changed the evolution of college football. For the NFL scout, oftentimes it's a bit of guesswork. I mean, you're trying to right. to mine through a, a hundred plays in a given game to find ten or twelve that will will actually apply to the to the pros. And so, with that being said, that's one reason why you've seen NFL teams gravitate towards Alabama players. You know, this year they had ten total picks. Uh, they've had 55, uh, you know, top-flight wow. choices yeah. during. Uh, Nick Saban's time at Alabama so you know it's definitely a, a a hotbed for for NFL scouting and you know all 32 teams will send at least two if not three sometimes four different people into Tuscaloosa over the course of the season
0: all right well fantastic Phil the best place we can purchase the book and all find our bookstores check it out on Amazon is there a place we can find information on you as well Phil the book comes out tomorrow
1: yeah, you know, you follow me on Twitter, Senior Bowl, at Senior Bowl, Phil, so of course, our seniorbowl.com website has a ton of information for those that are interested in football beyond just Alabama. But the book is available online and will be in stores uh, as of tomorrow on Tuesday the 29th.
0: All right, Phil, good luck in the season. Have another great season of Alabama football, and we'll see what happens, okay?
1: All right, I appreciate it. Thanks for
0: All right. the time. All right, take it, Phil. Bye-bye. You're listening to Neil Haley's show, and we'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley show, and it's the Author's Corner segment, and I'm just really, really, really excited to wa- welcome to the program author of Diana, I'm Going to Be Me, Phil Dampier. Uh, Phil, thanks for calling. And you know what, Phil? The, Diana is something that, especially in the United States, is something that, If you grew up in that time period, it's just there's so many people that wanted to be Diana, and I'm sure you hear that conversation all the time.
5: Yeah, that's right. It's an absolute uh, phenomenon, isn't it? And uh, for me, a reporter who was actually reporting on her at the height of her fame 25, 30 years ago, it's bringing back all sorts of memories, as you can imagine, this 20th anniversary. It kind of seems like yesterday. But what fascinates me most is that uh, a lot of people are coming to be completely fresh. You know, when you think about it, if you you could be a young parent with a a kid in a pram age 20 and you weren't even alive when Diana died, and anyone under 30 probably doesn't remember her. So for a whole generation of people, uh, they are discovering this woman for the first time, and they are finding her a fascinating historical figure, a fascinating fashion icon, a trailblazer in all sorts of fields like uh, AIDS, HIV, and, and landmines, and somebody who really changed the monarchy. And of course, they, they know all about William and Harry, and it's only now that they're kind of seeing where William and Harry get a lot of their personality from their mother, and uh, it's, it's fascinating to see people discover it for the first time, and as you say, people rediscovering it. <laughs>
0: For sure. And they want to talk about it. And then the specials come out and all the different things and the the 20th anniversary. And to think about specifically enough, Diana, it really in I was going to say, Phil, before the question I was trying to think, thinking about Diana, is that she really shook uh, Britain. By storm right that they did not expect a princess to act like she acted and it but it changed the whole way the monarchy would be so kind of explain when she came on the rise and she married Prince Charles how it kind of changed a lot of what you look at when you look at a princess.
5: Well, that's right. In the early 1980s, which is when she joined the royal family, she was. You've got to remember, she was only 20 years old. That's the amazing thing. So she came into it with a lot of a lot of naivety and a lot of fresh ideas. And uh, as you say, she was completely different from any other royal. And uh, before that, if you'd been reporting on the Queen or Princess Margaret or the Queen Mother, it would all be sort of you know, don't get too close to them, don't touch them. And Diana was completely different. She would be very touchy feely with people. She would uh, she would even talk to us, the press, were following her around. Uh, and kind of interact with us. And uh, I think that's where she got a lot of her popularity. She was quite good at uh, manipulating the press. And I remember all sorts of occasions when we were following her around and she would, uh, for example, on a holiday, when she would uh, know that we were there and she would strip off uh, to a bikini on a beach... (laughs)